everybody and welcome to another wonderful and exciting episode of killers cults and nut jobs 2.0 where we cover all crime i'm as always your host on this endeavor the great white snark scotty J, and seated across from me virtually on the other side of the country is the lovely and twisted monica hi boy man folks if you could see her right now she looks like she's about ready to to grab her pillow and her blankie and, and go to sleep. But yeah, she mustered that high with the energy of a junior varsity cheerleader. Pretty impressive. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, hey, I'm not doing so bad myself, you know. You know, we, we both had rough days at work, so we're just, we're, we're like hanging on by our fingernails at, <laughs> at this moment. Uh, there was something I wanted to tell. Oh, I- I'll tell you when we wrap up later, but I- I've got our next three ideas mapped out in my head for the show. Okay. Hopefully, since I don't have any extra assignments this week, I can actually take probably Saturday night, Sunday, and work on them. Be interested to hear. And I almost finished Dahmer. Oh, I, I, you know, I, I started watching that. I've got, I'm probably going to watch it a bit more of it tomorrow since it's my day off. Okay. I'm actually finding it interesting. Yeah. Well, the last episode, there's some, they seem to be confused about. Okay. Time sequence, which oh, is. Uh, yeah. Uh, annoying. What? Do something else. Oh, I've seen some people complain that there's that now. I'm sure this will shock you, but there were some people who are complaining that there's too much gay in Dahmer with him picking up the men and kissing them and, and yeah, everything. Yeah, there are some people who are complaining that there's too much gayness in. Uh-huh. 
there's they don't mind him killing the guys and eating them. Yeah, but I'm also thinking the people that would be bothered by that. I didn't think they were really into like the true crime stuff anyway. So. Well, no, and and I'm sure these are the people who are complaining that the Little Mermaid's black. So that's what I'm saying. It's like this is my heritage. Yeah, so how would they even know? Whatever. Well, I'm too tired to even like care. Right, <laughs> but. I, you know, I got to finish it. I think I'm in um, episode three or four. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I give Evan Peters credit. He's he's doing a great job. And also the monsters. Everybody I've heard from on Facebook is it's awful. Well, I mean, I, I sent my daughter because my daughter's like really getting into gay season. Mm-hmm. So I, I loaned her my book, uh, Killer Clown. Mm-hmm. I've got two copies. I, I let her have one, but um, I sent her a meme that said that uh, Evan Peters is out here collecting serial killer roles like they're Infinity Stones. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he makes a good Dahmer. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I give him absolute credit in the makeup and everything. He he looks great as Dahmer. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm going to save it for when we do when we cover Dahmer, but I, I, I've got some, I don't know if you want to say issues or concerns, but, but, but I see a couple problems with the, the father son dynamic. Okay. Yeah. Not so much as how they portray it because everything I've seen, all the documentaries and everything said that they didn't have the greatest relationship. Yeah. I, I think a lot of it is, I think they both didn't know how to deal with each other. Yeah. Well, so I just got the, um, I guess, like the newer version of the dad's book. Oh, his dad wrote a book? Yeah. I didn't know. It came out like right when, you know, he goes arrested. Okay. I'll I'll have to look into it. And then it went out of print, but it was one of those deals, like there were so many, it was like $500. It was kind of the way Pierre Bogdanovich's book about Stratton is like, oh, yeah, it's annoying because it's all out of print, but people still want to read it. So they made um, some other publishing company. Okay. Got the rights to it. And he actually got in contact with him because I didn't realize he's still alive. Yeah. Dad's still kicking. Yeah. Like his mom died in 2000, but I thought he had died also. His mom or his stepmom? No, his mom had, I guess, maybe okay. stepmom, but his mom died in 2000. And I, I realized guess. that he's still alive. Right. Um, but they can't, so they were able, he was able to update himself on some stuff. Okay, that's nice. So I'll, I'll have yeah. to make a trip to um, Amazon later. Oh. Um. I do have to give credit for uh, Molly Ringwald playing his stepmom. Oh, yeah. I mean, she was one of my redheaded crushes growing up. That's another thing. They're making her like all like seem nice and everything. and But apparently everything else, like reading like the real stepmom, you know, like the stepmom from hell. So, again, it's like, so which is... Right. Like, so... Uh, is like... You know, stepmom, you know, best stepmom ever. 
What I just don't know what we're supposed to do with you, Jeffrey. I mean, you're you're just such a nice boy. Grandma, though. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> I, I I got watching this, I, I had some jokes lined up for grandma when we do the episode. Okay. I'll get my grandma voice going on that one. Yeah, so I guess we better get in like how many minutes I was right on this one, but yeah, foreshadowing our Thanksgiving cannibal episode. Yeah, so. All right, folks, we got a good one for you tonight. Uh, we're going to take a little trip in time on this one. We're going to go back to the 1890s. And we're going to go to one of my, it, it's on my list of the top five favorite cities. It, it's not number one. And it's probably down around three or four. Monica could probably guess what my number one favorite city in the country is. Look at her think. Uh, we should put the I Jeopardy. Can't of, oh, can't think of a joke. Small. Know, we, yeah, we should put uh, the Jeopardy theme up there while you're thinking. Yeah, right. Some I, I love Oregon. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I love me some Philly. Said, this one's interesting because we've both been to his grave. Yeah. And the, most, and the even more interesting part is we were both there together. Yeah. So. We're going to talk about H.H. Holmes tonight, folks. I, I, and I know you can go on the streaming services and, you know, you can see, um, you know, the little documentaries. I know um, Discovery Plus has American Ripper. That was, that was a good one. Which... I, I got to work on a Jack the Ripper. And, and in my opinion, I do not think that H.H. H. Holmes was Jack the Ripper. No. I, 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 that he was in America. Right. I just don't, I don't buy the whole H.H. H. Holmes is Jack the Ripper theory. Like you said, he was here in America during that period. Yeah. But we're going to get into the story. H.H. Uh, H. Holmes was born Herman Webster Mudgett in Gilted, New Hampshire on May 16th, 1861. Oh, oh, he man, he was born right after the first shots of the Civil War were fired. That, that's why he's messed up. Uh, he was born to Levi Horton Mudgett. And Theodate Page Price. Herman was their third child. The other were Ellen, Arthur, Henry, and Mary. Levi came from a farming background, and he had worked as a farmer, a trader, and a house painter. I hear you paint houses. Yes, I watched it. Actually... It's been so long, but the guy that um, Robert De Niro played mm -hmm. is at the same cemetery as H.H. H. Holmes. Oh, nice. I, I want to get the book, The Irishman, and read it and do it, for, do it for a show. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a little fun fact for you. Monica's Cemetery Quiz Location of the Week. Thank you. <laughs> He and Theodate were devout Methodists. 
Now, Holmes graduated from Phillips Exeter Academy in 1877 at the age of 16. He began teaching in Gilmanton and Alton. At the age of 16, he... Okay, I think you repeated that. On July 4th, 1878, he married Clara Lovering in Alton. Their son, Robert Lovering Mudgett, was born on February 3rd, 1880 in Loudoun, New Hampshire. Loudoun or London? Loudoun. It was definitely, yeah. I, it's loud. I, I was like, it's Loudoun, but. Okay, because see, I've seen. The other section. Right. Why well, I've seen this spelling in different books I've read, and I've always wondered if it was Loudoun or London. Up in New Hampshire. I would think it would be Loudon because London would be the, the end. Yeah, well, it's New Hampshire. You know, you're like, right. yeah. We'll get some maple syrup, eh? Oh, wait, that's Canadian. Holmes enrolled, enrolled in the University of Vermont in Burlington at the age of 18, but he decided to leave one year later. In 1882, he enrolled at the University of Michigan in the School of Medicine and Surgery, graduating in June of 1884. While enrolled there, he worked with one of the anatomy professors, William James Herdman, to rob graves for cadavers to be used in the, to study anatomy. He was also an apprentice of Nahum White in New Hampshire, who was a noted advocate of human dissection for study. Everything I've read about this point, there was a great market for uh, skeletons, for anatomy students. I, it, it was a it was a thriving. I mean, London grave robbers did the same thing. There was su such a market for uh, skeletons. God, I wish I was alive back then. I would have been a grave robber. Now, people who knew Holmes at this time had stated that he was violent with Clara, and before his graduation in 1884, she moved back to New Hampshire without him. He got a job at Norristown State Hospital in Norristown, Pennsylvania as a keeper, but quit shortly after. He later took a position at a pharmacy in Philadelphia, but while an employee there, a boy died after taking medication that he had gotten from the store. Holmes denied any involvement in the child's death and immediately left the city. That's not suspicious. Nope. In 1886, while still married to Clara, Holmes married Myrta Belknap in Minneapolis, Minnesota. But oops. Like I said before, still married. <laughs> so. Hearing this, it reminds me of uh, there's this line in, um, what was it? The Marx Brothers movie Animal Crackers, where uh, Groucho turned to um, Margaret Dumont. She's, he wanted to marry her, but he was married to someone else. And she says, that's big of me. He goes, of course it's big of me. It's big of you, too. <laughs> that one, actually, I have to say, never saw. You've never seen Animal Crackers? No, I know. Oh, my God, it's a classic. I know. That's like enough or just, yeah. I oh, have it. Fine, so. Okay, well then. Have to send it my way. Well, it's in a collection of like four films, so. Okay, yeah. 
Now, after marrying Murda, he filed for divorce from Clara. And surviving paperwork shows that she might have never even known about the divorce filing as it was never finalized. And it ended up being dismissed <laughs> anyway on June 4th, 1891 on the grounds of want of prosecution. So, Lucy Theodate, his daughter with Murda, was born on July 4th, 1889 in Englewood, Illinois. He lived with Murda and Lucy in Wilmette, Illinois, but spent most of his time in Chicago on business dealings. Holmes' third wife at, yeah, at the same time was Georgiana Yoke, whom he married on January 17th, 1894 in Denver. Um, back then, Inglewood was a nice neighborhood. Not so great now, but mm-hmm. um, I, I think was incorporated into Chicago. I mean, it was within distance to the, to downtown, so the city was on a big boom at that point because it was just at wasn't too long after the uh the great fire oh yes i was just on the building well right you know we started getting um at that point chicago started getting a lot of stone buildings that are still standing yeah um i think the highest buildings there were like at the time were like six stories oh so skyscrapers back then yeah right they were sky we didn't get those until like the 20th century when people kind of figured out how to build on Chicago's soft ground. Yeah. Because if you were to see the lakeshore now, uh, after the Great Fire, the lakeshore was farther in to the city. So like where Grant Park is now, that was all filled in with um, debris from the Great Fire. Okay. And even today, when people are doing diggings or you know building in Chicago, they still come across some relics from the fire. That's cool. It is. Hmm. Holmes arrived in the city that would make him infamous in August 1886. He had also changed his name from Herman Mudgett to Henry Howard Holmes by the time he arrived in Chicago. He wandered into Elizabeth S. Holton's pharmacy at the northwest corner of South Wallace Avenue and West 63rd Street in Englewood. She employed him and he became popular both with her and the customers. The female he eventually customers. purchased the store from her. Many books have portrayed Elizabeth's husband as old and feeble, but actually he was just a few years older than Holmes and had also graduated from the University of Michigan. He and Elizabeth did not disappear soon after Holmes purchased the pharmacy. They lived in Englewood until their natural deaths, hers in 1933 and his in 1910. And with all the research, I did find their graves. So if they had disappeared and everything, they would not have graves. Right. Um, God, where are they in Chicago? I'm trying to think. There's a lot of cemeteries, especially around the... There's one that I pass going to the Museum of Science and Industry that I think has the Confederate dead from uh, Camp Douglas. Mm-hmm. It's a mass grave, but I think it's, I, I want to say it's that one that I pass. Yeah, I'll find it. Holmes bought 
the empty lots across the street from the pharmacy, and he had constructed on the lots started in 1887. The plans called for a two-story mixed-use building with apartments on the second floor and retail space, including a pharmacy, on the first. He was sued in 1888 by the Aetna Iron and Steel Company for non-payment of services. In 1892, a third floor was added. He told his investors and suppliers that he planned on opening up that floor as a hotel because of the upcoming World's Columbian Exposition. This section was never fully completed. One of his first victims, if not his first, was his mistress, Julia Smythe. She was married to Ned Connor, who worked at the pharmacy's jewelry counter. This is how she met Holmes. When Connor found out about the affair, he quit the job and moved away, leaving Pearl, his daughter, with Julia. Julia gained custody of Pearl and lived at the hotel while continuing the affair with Holmes. On Christmas Eve, 1891, both Julia and Pearl disappeared, and Holmes stated that she had died during a botched abortion, which wasn't uncommon back then, or even today, but more back then. Now, Holmes said that he had then poisoned Pearl. It is claimed that Julia had demanded that Holmes marry her when she discovered he was, she was pregnant. Well, he agreed to the marriage, but only if Julia allowed him to abort the fetus she was carrying. In reality, he had no intention of marrying Julia. She was just a means. Skeletal parts of a child that would have, would have been around Pearl's age were later found in the cellar of the building. Ned Connor later was a key witness in Holmes's trial. In May of 1892, Holmes employed Emmeline Sigrande, I hope I'm saying that right, to work in the building. Uh, she wasn't seen again after that December. At the time, it was rumored that she had become pregnant by Holmes, and guess what? She died by an abortion attempt. Yet another girl, Emily Van Tressel, disappeared while working there, too. In the early months of 1893, Minnie Williams moved to Chicago. She unfortunately met Holmes, who offered her employment in the hotel section of his building. She was in, to be employed as his personal stenographer. Holmes was able to persuade Minnie to transfer the deed to her property in Fort Worth to Alexander Bond, an alias of Holmes. In April 1893, she transferred the deed and Holmes served as the notary using his own name. Holmes <laughs> later transferred the deed to Peitzel using the name of Benton T. Lyman to stand in for Benjamin Peitzel. Pit Pitzel, oh, sorry. In May of 1893, Holmes and, Holmes and Minnie rented an apartment in the Lincoln Park section of Chicago. Her sister Annie visited and that July wrote to her and Minnie's aunt that she was accompanying Brother Harry, who's actually Holmes, on a tour of York. After July 5th, 1893, Minnie and Annie were never seen again. The following is a list of people who went missing between the years of 1891 and 1895 in the area the building was located in. Holmes was a suspect in their disappearances, but nothing was ever proven. Dr. Rustler, a business occupant in the building in 1892, Kitty Kelly, a stenographer employed by Holmes in 1892, 
John G. Davis of Greenville, Pennsylvania, was staying at the hotel while attending the Columbian Exposition in 1893. Henry Walker of Greensburg, Indiana, disappeared in November 1893. He had written to friends that he was working for H.H. Holmes in Chicago. It is believed that his life was insured for $20,000 and the payee was Holmes. Milford Cole of Baltimore disappeared after she allegedly received a telegram from Holmes requesting her presence in Chicago in July 1894. The bank book of a Lucy Burbank was found in the building in 1893, 18, sorry, 1895. But other than that, there was nothing else to identify that person with that name had been a victim of Holmes or anyone else. Holmes left for Fort Worth in July 1894 to claim the property that he had inherited from Minnie and Annie. This property was located at Commerce Street and Second Street. As in Chicago, he tried to have a building constructed while avoiding paying suppliers and contracts, contractors. It was never finished and Holmes never committed murder there. Uh, during the summer of 1894, Holmes was arrested and jailed for the first time in St. Louis, Missouri. And folks, if you're ever going to get arrested, St. Louis is the place to do it. The charge was for selling mortgaged goods. He made bail, but had become friendly with Marion Hedgepeth, the handsome bandit while in jail. I got to look her up because she sounds interesting. He. Hey. He. Like John Wayne, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Either way, he sounds interesting. Yeah. I have to see if there's some books on him. Uh Or something. I don't think there's books, but yeah. No, but I mean, maybe we can find stuff for a short one. Right. That's what I'm saying. There might be enough information there for like a short up. Find like some short criminals to do like, you know, a show on. Uh If any, I don't know if this is getting picked up, but my. My uh, nephew Jamil's in the background making noise. Yeah, it's probably getting, I can hear him. So, well, except for James, I call him. Right. Well, yeah, I gave him the nickname Porcupine because uh-huh. he's got this great head. Of, well, before it got cut, he has this great head of curly hair. Uh-huh. And one morning, I was up and he was up standing next to me in the kitchen, and he looked like Larry from the Three Stooges with his curl yeah, sticking yeah. out. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of looked down at him on what's up, porcupine? Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's just kind of stuck. He answers to it too, which is amazing. Yeah. Okay, I can't wait till he goes to school because you know they like up here, they like to say, you know, a nickname. Uh-huh. Well, you, you know, I go by porcupine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh Marion was serving a 25-year sentence for robbing the St. Louis and San Francisco Express train in Glendale, Missouri, for the nice sum of 40 grand. Holmes came up with a plan to swindle an insurance company by taking out a policy for 10 grand, and then guess what? I'm going to fake my death. Now, Holmes promised Hedgepeth 500 bucks for his participation in this. In exchange for the name of a lawyer who wasn't on the on the up and up. So basically, they he, he says, hey, man, I'll give you 500 bucks out of this if you give me a crooked lawyer. I know just the perfect one. If the glove don't fit, you must acquit. I saw him, too. 
<laughs> you didn't were you were you thinking I was gonna go there with the whole uh, crooked lawyer bit? Yes, but okay. Nice to know that, that you can kind of see where the joke is going as as I'm delivering it. Of course, yeah. Holmes was steered towards Jephthah Howe, who practiced in St. Louis. Howe promptly agreed, and the plan was started to be put into action. The insurance company became suspicious and refused to pay out the benefit. Holmes didn't push his luck with this insurance company. However, he did decide on a similar plan to be played out with Benjamin Peitzel, whom he had met while working at the Chemical Bank building on Dearborn Street. I wonder if it's still standing. Peitzel's background included carpentry and you know, some minor criminal activity. Well, guess what, folks? Peitzel agreed to this plan in which he would be the one to supposedly die. He agreed on the understanding that his wife, Carrie, would collect the 10 grand payout along with Holmes and Howe. The scheme would take place in Philadelphia and would need to have Peitzel pretend to be an inventor with the name of B.F. Perry. Perry would end up being a, a not very good inventor since he would end up being disfigured and killed in an explosion in his lab on 1316 Callow Hill Street. You said it right. Yay. Yeah. Well, I was, I was just wondering if it's still standing. I think so. At least that's what Peitzel thought things would appear to be. Holmes' job was to find a cadaver that would reasonably appear to be similar to Perry, Perry slash Peitzel here. Disfigured and killed in an accident accident in the lab explosion. Well, this is my thought. If you're going to get a if you're going to get a cadaver to, to take your place, does it really matter if you, you disfigure it? I guess like depends on. Well, on the disfigurement. If you're like a tall, skinny guy, you're not going to get some short, fat guy. True. So. True. Yeah. That makes more sense. Okay. What actually happened was that Holmes rendered Peitzel unconscious with chloroform and then set his body on fire with benzene as an accelerant. Of course, Holmes was able to easily collect on the insurance because the dead person was in fact the person who had been insured. No fake body needed. His next step was to get Peitzel's wife to trust him enough to allow three of her five children to be placed in his custody. The three children were Alice, Nellie, and Howard. The eldest child and baby stayed with Carrie. Holmes took Alice, Nellie, and Howard on a trip that took them into the Northern United States and Canada. When he wasn't with the children, he was with Carrie Peitzel on a parallel route to the children. The whole time he lied to Carrie about her husband and used aliases. He told her that Benjamin was laying low in London. He also lied to her about the location of her other three children. At one point, they were all in Detroit at the same time, with only a few blocks separating them. Holmes, in his confession, wrote that he murdered Alice and Nellie by forcing them into a trunk, locking it, and put a hose in it via a hole he had drilled earlier. The hose was attached to a gas line to asphyxiate the children. He buried them in the cellar of the house he was renting in Toronto at 16 St. Vincent Street. 
This location no longer exists as St. Vincent has since been realigned as part of Bay Street. Frank Geyer, a detective with the Philadelphia Police, was assigned to investigate homes and to find the missing Peitzel children. He was able to locate the house where Holmes had taken the children, where he found their decomposed nude bodies buried in the cellar. Detective Geyer was later quoted as saying, the deeper we dug, the more horrible the odor became. And when we reached the depth of three feet, we discovered what appeared to be the bone of the forearm of a human being. They could have used I, him for the uh, uh, Casey case. Yes, they can. Geyer's next stop was in Indianapolis, where he had learned that Holmes had rented a cottage. The body of Howard Peitzel was found in the chimney of that house. Holmes had apparently drugged Howard before dismembering the body in order to burn it. Holmes's murder spree came to an end on November 17, 1894, in Boston, where he was tracked there by the Pinkerton National Detective Agency. Those guys weren't exactly on the up and up, and I... I, I want to do a show about these guys. I need to find a book of Pinkerton. They were able to hold him on an outstanding warrant from Texas on the charge of horse theft. They were desperate to keep him in custody since the authorities were starting to suspect that he was guilty of much worse things. They were also afraid that he would flee the country with his third wife. The police in Chicago began the investigation in Holmes' castle. By this time, it had begun to be referred to as the murder castle. There was not enough evidence left in the castle for any charge to be brought against him there. In October of 1895 in Philadelphia, Holmes was put on trial for the murder of Benjamin Peitzel. He was found guilty and given the death sentence because Philadelphia does not mess around. <laughs> She's shaking her head no, folks. I mean, nowadays, but yeah. Well, back then, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. Following his conviction for the Peitzel murder, he confessed to 27 murders in Chicago, Indianapolis, and Toronto, and six attempted murders. However, some of his uh, so-called victims were still alive and well. Now, he was hanged at, okay, help me out with this. Moya Mensing. Okay, that's why I, that you know. That's that, why you have me for this. Right. Well, and also this is this you know this was in in your neck of the woods, so you know yeah, the pronunciation better than me. Yeah, I heard it a lot more. Right. I I think I tried to look this one up because uh, Capone was in it. I don't think it's standing. That, that was Eastern State. Well, he he was in. Uh, he was in this one before he got transferred to Eastern. Yeah, Moya Mensing's not um, standing anymore. Uh, yeah, a, I thought uh, this was the one that was gone. It's an Acme. Or as we like to say, Acme. <laughs> uh, Moya Mensing Prison in Philadelphia on May 7th, 1896. He had requested that his coffin be contained in cement and buried 10 feet deep. For the reason that he was afraid that his body would be dug up and sold by grave robbers to be used for dissection. Irony. Thy name is irony. His neck did not break right away and he strangled for over 15 minutes and was pronounced dead 20 minutes after the trap door fell. 
After his body was brought down from the scaffold, it was interred in an unmarked grave at Holy Cross Cemetery in Yeadon, Pennsylvania. Yeadon. Yeadon. Okay. Well, yep. I will, con- you know, you've heard it more than I have. I've been there more than you have, too. So, yeah, right. It's like, if, you know, when we do another Illinois one, I might know the names better than you. And I'll be like, going, like, what? <laughs> You're right. Is that Midwestern thing, folks? Uh-huh. Now, Marion Hedgepeth was shot and killed by Chicago police officer Edward Jabruick on December 31st, 1909. In the middle of him holding up a Chicago saloon. <laughs> Happy New Year. Ka, ka, ka. He had previously been pardoned for informing on homes in the insurance scheme. Well, not anymore. The castle was gutted by fire in August 1895. The New York Times reported that two men had entered the back of the building between eight and nine at night. Approximately half an hour later, they were seen running away from the building. There were several explosions and the building was on fire. Later, investigators located a half-empty gas can under the back steps. The overall building survived the attempt to bring it down and remained in use until it was torn down in 1938. Today, the spot is occupied by the Englewood branch of the United States Postal Service. In 2017, there were allegations that Holmes had somebody executed in his place, and his body was exhumed to determine if H.H. Holmes had, in fact, been executed on May 7th, 1896. Which uh, I believe was the subject of the show American Ripper. Yeah. The testing was led by Janet Monk of the University of Pennsylvania Museum of Archaeology and Anthropology, which is basically like one of James' favorite museums. Okay. It's pretty interesting. An unexpected benefit of Holmes' request to be buried in concrete was that after being underground for over 100 years, his clothes were almost in pristine condition and his mustache was still intact. The body was positively identified as that of Holmes. The one scheme he could not complete was escaping the hangman's noose. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, if you look, uh, like I said, if you look on Discovery Plus, there's this uh they did american ripper and it wasn't too long after this show had uh had ended that me and my original co-host phil came out to visit monica and she took us to the exact spot where holmes is buried it was cool because they still had the outline from when they had yeah um like exhumed them yeah it was like okay this is like literally exactly where Right, and it it was nice to see that. I mean, he is like the first serial killer that I've visited. He wasn't my first, of course. So I'd seen went to Andrew Cunanan's um, niche. Oh, nice. In two thousand nine. So I mean, and but he's also supposed to be America's first, and no. No, I have family that's buried very close to him, too. I discussed that before with you. Right. And I mean, home now. I mean, not, I mean like really close. 
like not in oh same cemetery close like oh, as you're you right see, like you can see and read the grave from yeah. his to, which is I don't know with me some people would be like freaked out be like oh my god but I'm like right yeah, really cool. now um <laughs> there were reports that um I live pro I I don't live well I live near uh the town of moments in um here in Kankakee County. And there were reports that Holmes might have committed a murder out here. Well, been close enough, too. Yeah, well, back then, it, it would have been nothing for, um, it, it would have been exact, it would have been absolutely nothing for Holmes to um, catch a train. Yeah. Out of Chicago, come down because there is a rail line that runs through moments. I, I want to say, goes to Chicago. I, I mean, I'm sure it does. Um, so yeah, he could have caught a train out of Chicago, came down to moments within, um, you know, two three hours back then, at how fast the train was going. Mm-hmm. Could have done a murder down here because this was, I mean, and it's still in a lot of spots here. It is, but it, it was farmland, easy enough, you know, farmland, pig farms, cattle. It would have been nothing for him to murder someone and toss them into a pig pen. Yeah. So we don't know exactly for sure if he had done it, but um, I think I remember reading. That when he got busted in Chicago, they started looking down here for like somebody, you know, someone who had gone missing. They were last seen in his vicinity. So they started looking around here. Mm -hmm. I don't think they ever found the body, but they, they looked. They gave it the old college try. No. Yeah, well, see the thing, I mean, out here. You know, this is all farmland, so, um, you know, it, it would have been easy back then to, to take a body, or not really take a body from Chicago, because how are you going to, you know, get it on a Pullman car? Oh, well, yeah. But, you know, you... Trunk. Duh. Right, but I mean, you, you could have... got to think about it. Use your brain here, right? Yeah, a nice yeah, big trunk. Yeah, right, but he could have traveled down here with the person murdered them, dumped her body, gone back to Chicago, and not really, no one would have thought otherwise. And there's also that, yeah. So, I, you know, this area also, I mean, also has uh, connections to tenuous at best, but Capone had, um, had connections down here into the county. A lot of the um, the Philadelphia mob people are buried at Holy Cross. You know, I I wanted I was toying with an idea a while back ago about doing like a mob history podcast, and and I was looking into like you know going from like New York to Philadelphia, New Jersey, kind of how it yeah, spread that across. Like, oh God, that would be like a, what, a ten parter. <sighs> the Philadelphia mob. Well, I mean, 
the overall mob too. Right. I mean, I've got a book on the five families. I've got um, Boardwalk Empire. I've got, well, obviously Chicago. Um, I, I've actually tried tra- tracking down books on um, different cities, mobs, so I could I, it's still an idea. I don't know if I want to do it, mm-hmm. but it's it's in my head in case I want to actually That's like do a huge it. One undertaking. I'd almost like well, like do September 11th. Well, like right, but then before the mob one, just like like so many different. Well, no, I I think that besides, I mean, I'm gonna. I, I'm going to start writing uh, my history shows here pretty soon. I wanted to do it last weekend, but I, I had a bibliography due that I had to rewrite. So I, I think once I while I'm working on everything this weekend, I'm going to try getting my history shows done. Jumping back into the history podcast along with this one. And um, I want... I'm not reading any history books right now because I'm giving myself until November because I'm going to start reading all my Trump books that I have. Cause I have, I, I feel that there's a project in it. I just have to see how it's going to fit together. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to call it the long con. But that's going to wrap up HH Holmes for us today, folks. Um, we got the Facebook page. Join us there. We got CastBox or Podbean. Find us there. Definitely, if you have Spotify, and I'm going to say this because I've been getting requests from people on the Facebook page. If you have Spotify, yes, the original show is up there, but no, because the old hosting site went down. All those shows are lost. Some great episodes. I wish I would have saved somehow. But I've got a lovelier co-host now. So I would hope so. Oh my god! (laughs) And that's not like a real huge compliment, you know. Well, it well she she brings more knowledge of the uh, the the true crime field to the show. And I speak more. Yeah. That too. So yeah. Yeah. But uh, um, all those original shows are lost. But if you're looking for us on Spotify, please, if you type in Killers, Cults, and Nutjobs, please put in 2.0 at the end of Nutjobs, and it'll take you straight to the show. I can't stress that enough. So. I'm having an allergy attack, so. uh, Yeah, you too. (laughs) Yeah, I'm getting it right up here, sinus area, too. Because uh, everybody's harvesting right now, so. Like I can tell you're like looking at me. I'm like, just. Uh. Right, but you know, out here everybody's harvesting, so I'm I'm getting pollen as I'm driving home every day. Oh God. Yeah. If it's not about, it makes me go. Uh. If it's not corn, it's soybeans. Soy. So. For Killers, Cults, and Nutjobs 2.0, I'm Scotty J. Say goodnight, Monica. Good night, Monica.